you very much. Thank you, thank you for that applause. Uh, it's particularly appreciated uh, downstairs here in the Phoenix, as, as we need you to make as much noise as possible uh, to cover the sound of drilling uh, for the safety deposit boxes next door. <laughs> so, as another great British summertime draws to a close... Welcome to No Pressure to be Funny. My name is Alistair Barry, and I'm standing in for James O'Brien this month, as he appears to be having the TV career I never wanted. <laughs> yeah, and if you believe that, you'll believe fires in Bradford started themselves throughout the 80s. You'll believe that Lord Janna's family were happy to let Grandad babysit. <laughs> and you'll believe that Katie Hopkins writes her own copy. As we speak, I imagine her people are putting the finishing touches to this week's column, Dirty Sherpas, Why Nepal Needed an Earthquake. <laughs> Sadly, neither David Cameron nor Nick Clegg will be appearing on tonight's show, so it can't be long until the media declare Nicola Sturgeon the winner. <laughs> then fume that she's going to take over all future panel shows on her relentless rise to victory in an election she's not even standing in. Our audience tonight, very welcome you're all, uh, you're all very welcome. Our audience tonight are made up of a delightful cross-section of London society, or as Nigel Farage would call them, lefties. <laughs> By which he means a large group of people who all individually decided he was dreadful before they'd even met him. <laughs> HSBC are considering moving their head office abroad on account of tiresome new regulations that will obstruct their blameless and blemish-free business model. All further correspondence is to be forwarded to the Shady Sombrero, El Capitano's Toot Palace, Tijuana, Mexico. <laughs> Despite this, as an HSBC customer who recently moved house, I'm just going to continue sending letters to their old address to see how they like it. I know, juvenile and a bit silly, but yeah, I am, I am a bit silly. I've got a business account with HSBC and I paid tax on it. In other financial news, America wants to extradite Navinda Saro, a 37-year-old British trader who they claim triggered the £500 million Wall Street flash crash of 2010. Now, I would have thought that if your system could be plunged into crisis by a track-suited bloke in Hounslow with a laptop, <laughs> then it might be your system that's at fault. But what do I know? When I heard ISIS were in the reserve boat last week, I tried to put money on Al-Qaeda in the main race. So, <laughs> Time now to cross over to St Mary's Hospital for another update on the royal birth. Mm, yeah. Don't worry, we'll just edit a three-day pause onto the podcast here, occasionally interrupted by someone from Sky going, I don't know, say something, anything, booties, morning sickness, make it up, is this thing on? <laughs> of course, we only have the one royal family, which is terribly old-fashioned these days. Uh, America now has the Kennedys, the Bushes, the Clintons and the Kardashians, to name but a few. Hillary Clinton has announced her intention to run for the presidency again, while the US opened diplomatic relations with Cuba for the first time in over 50 years. A Clinton in the White House and trade links with Havana. Whichever way you look at it, it's been a good month for cigar manufacturers. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Oh, lovely. Let's uh, crack on with the show. As, uh, as I'm sure you know, we have uh, um, regulars. Give me a cheer. Yay! Absolute joyful to see you and, and you people. You'll know the format of the show. First up, we have uh, a musical guest. Uh, the musical guest uh, has done no pressure before, but not for quite some time. We're delighted to welcome him. Uh, according to the Comedy CV website, uh, our guest tonight joined a band at 15 to get laid. Uh, tonight, he is performing solo, which sounds a bit worrying. <laughs> But we're absolutely delighted, and please give a huge welcome to the wonderful Mr. Christian Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, right, so I've got a son. Thank you. And uh, he's seven years old. There's a lot of talk about elections. And, you know, he's getting curious. He says to me, Dad, what's an election? And uh, I said, um, that's a good question. So I wrote this song, uh, and this is a way to explain elections to children. Here we go. Now at the dining table this evening, my son said to me, 
How come I gotta eat these vegetables? I'd rather have a big bowl of sweets. I said, son, I'm glad you asked me that. Now just touch with all your noise. Just sit there in that dining chair. I'm gonna tell you about a thing called choice. Well, it all began in ancient Rome. An emperor had a little boy. The kid didn't want to go out visiting, said he'd rather stay home with his toys. Papa said, how'd you like a piggyback, or would you rather have a shoulder ride? The kid made a choice, and he was out the door, independent as a Byzantine. Choices, choices, good old rational choices, choices, choices. You take a bad thing, you split it in two, and make a kid choose what he don't want to choose. Starting to see where this is going? Now, around about this point, the concept of choice got the Romans in a foul temper. They could choose wives and garments and slaves from the market. Everything but who gets to be emperor. So to keep the masses from rising, the emperor gave them democracy. Said, y'all can vote for representatives and they can all answer to me. Choices, choices, when the masses are finding their voices. Give them choices, choices. Vote for an underling, one, two, three. Who makes people feel like they're actually free. And that story just rolled on and on from antiquity to presently. These days, the emperor is a riggable market under a global financial elite. Twice a decade, some puppet says, hey, people, find your voices. You get one little cross in the ballot box and lots and lots of choices. Choices, choices, totally fair and not pointless. Choices, choices, status quo divided by four. That's what general elections are for. Okay, so at this point, my son's getting a bit... He's having trouble grasping what I'm saying. And uh, that's because he's a bit of an idiot. Uh, It's because he's going to a really bad school. And that's because we've got choice in education. And unfortunately, he's chosen less affluent parents than the kids who are going to the good schools. I always have to simplify things for us. Well, that's just about the whole story, son. And that's how come you got carrots and peas. And sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes and butter and baked and string beans. And if you find the choice overwhelming, well, that's the moral of the story, see? Now, how'd you like your asparagus, boiled, fried, or steamed? Choices, choices, be careful who's handing out your choices. Choices, choices, red or yellow or pink or green. Labor, liberal, fascist, racing. Shake with armor, Bernard Rama. It's all t-shirts to me. Shut till you drop and you'll never be free. Enjoy the election, y'all. Let me issue and control a nation's money supply, and I care not who writes the laws. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Christian Riley. Please, will you give a huge welcome to Angela Barnes, Joe Brand, Joe Wells, and Andy Zaltzman. Thank you. A brief word of warning. Uh, you may be aware that uh, Tory party chairman Grant Shapps has allegedly been editing his opponent's Wikipedia pages, but we're fairly confident he hasn't managed to contaminate any of our guests' intros. But do keep an eye out just in case. Angela Barnes is just the sort of person you'd expect to come from Brighton, what with her insistence on showing off in public doing stand-up comedy rather than staying at home housekeeping and her dad owned a sex shop. (laughs) Joe Brand is essentially everything that is wrong with the modern BBC embodied in human form. (laughs) Apparently some people like her. Joe Wells is a Trotskyite, basically. Andy Zaltzman likes cricket and is of South African descent, so God alone knows what went wrong in his upbringing that turned him into some sort of bleating leftist satire monkey. He's a disgrace. I mean, look at his hair. (laughs) Well, thank goodness for that. I think we got away with it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the panel. Now, at this stage, we often start with something called the devil's advocate, where I take uh, a position that is contrary to received belief. Uh, But as I'm hosting this week, we're just going to kick off with what uh, Christian's song was about. And uh, we'll start with you, Andy, if you don't mind. Are you you enjoying the election thus far? Oh, it's uh, awesome. uh, I've just been, like, voting. I'm just kind of trying to warm up for the 7th of May by just voting as often as possible. I've been doing postal votes... uh, all kinds of, all manner of electoral fraud. So um, it's ju- just in the election or just voting on other things oh, as well? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I make my kids vote on you know, which parent they prefer today and 
You know, you just go, you've got to train them up. At least there's only a choice of two there, I'm assuming. Well, I mean, we've got an au pair at the moment as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so you're widening the vote demographic, are you? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it, I mean, it was much easier when it was a two-party system. It worked much more simply then. Um, but uh, uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, it, for, for the new... See, in my constituency, our, our incumbent MP is 100 to 1 on to re- retain his seat. So, frankly, I, I could vote for anyone and it wouldn't... I mean, it's basically just have a bit of paper and do what you like with it in my constituency. So I, I might just draw a little picture. Who, who is it then? It's Chuka Umuna in Streatham. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's 100, 100 to 1 on. Can you tell him I'm sorry about what I said about Streatham on Have I Got News For You? <laughs> <laughs> um, I said it was a shithole. Um, um, if I can just put that into context, because I did actually get an email asking if I wanted to come and do a benefit to apologise to the people of Streatham. I didn't single Streatham out. Uh, whenever any, uh, when I tour, Cheltenham, Bath, Penge, wherever it is, I just go, bit of a shithole here, isn't it? <laughs> to get a cheap laugh. And I was doing that again. In, but in Bath? Yeah, I know. How'd you pull that off in Bath? Well, That's extraordinary. I, they're all pissed. All right. and, um, <laughs> no, they do laugh. It's so weird, yeah. I know. I, I kind of feel if I went to the Vatican and went a bit of a shithole, they'd all laugh as well because people just automatically do for some weird Joe, reason. Joe, Penge is on your tour diary. I'm more worried about the Vatican's anyone. on the tour diary, to be honest. But, um, looking at the election, Joe, are you, are you worried... Uh, Joe Wells, if I may. If, uh, are, you, are you worried that we are going to be taken over by uh, the Scottish Nationalist Party? Is that a big worry for you? Uh, no, I think it sounds good. I read the thing about the SNP destroying Britain. I thought, this sounds great. It sounds brilliant. I want to be destroyed by the SNP. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, excellent. That sounded mildly masochistic there. And everyone just <laughs> pauses everyone. He wants to be descro- destroyed by a Scot. Fair enough. That's, and uh, so we've got... Uh, have you decided on where you're going to cast your vote, Angela? Yes. You have? And you I think so. Yeah. I, mean, I, I wouldn't ask. That's a democratic I'm, I'm, I'm an unashamed bit of a Miliband fangirl. Really? I know, I know. It's and I, I, I can't. I sort of fancy him. You sort that—that that is a genuine. I just revelation. said that in a recording, haven't yeah. I? You have said I, that in a recording, and that's almost definitely going to go on the podcast, <laughs> possibly with a video cast next to it and a big headline on the website. So that's so great. To be honest, I mean, I, everything about me feels I should vote green, but I am worried about the green vote pushing the Tory vote higher. So I, I don't know. I'm torn. I are you? Are you? Do you live in Brighton now? No, I don't. I live in Crystal Palace. Oh, right, yeah, because Brighton... Oh, just, that's another shithole next to Streatham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, no, because the, the, Brighton was famously the first place to have a Green MP, which obviously was a huge shock to the rest <laughs> of the country, because if you thought, there's one constituency that's going to return a Green MP, who would it possibly... I was, I was banking on Oldham, but apparently... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and Caroline Lucas, because now they've got Nicola Sturgeon. Um, no, sorry, not Nicola Sturgeon. What's the um, Natalie uh, Bennett? Natalie Bennett. Sorry, it's, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I had a, I had a brain fade. It happens, <laughs> happens to everyone. Uh, at least I can remember which fucking football team I support. David Crystal United. <laughs> yes, I love that West Villa. Now. Um, so you, you, the Greens. Uh, does anyone else? I mean. My, I was trying to explain to someone the other day who said why they should vote, what, what they should, who they should vote for, and I ended up finding myself defending Miliband quite strongly. I hadn't actually realised I was quite... I'm a bit of a Miliband fanboy because I know he's, had such a, he's got such a charisma bypass, you wonder if there are protesters I, in his I really branches. disagree with that. I think he's way... I mean, you fancy him. Fancy's a strong word. But I, Which I mean, you used. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. But I think with, he's... More likable than Cameron, surely. Oh, that's surely. not difficult. And charisma. <laughs> well, no. That's like painting fewer willies on a ceiling than Michelangelo. <laughs> it's just not that difficult. It's because uh, Cameron's got that kind of entitlement thing. Is I mean, Miliband isn't a natural charismatic leader, whereas Cameron, you know, a door opens for Cameron, and he kind of goes, "I thought that would happen." <laughs> and, and just from the from a female perspective of Joe Brown, if I may, does Ed Miliband do it for you on any level? Um, well, I, I did do a party political broadcast for the Labour Party, but I am, in fact, going to vote Tory. So um, <laughs> it's all gone a bit weird in my head. Um, no, well, the thing that, no, um, uh, the thing that worries me the most, actually, is the, is the number of women that didn't vote at the last election. Nine million women. And I, I think that's absolutely appalling. So I've been going around sort of assaulting verbally... Um, <laughs> 
lots of women that I think are unlikely to vote. And I, I was at the hairdressers the other day, and there was a very sweet girl called Sophie, who's about 18, washing my hair. And I said to her, are you, are you going to vote? She said, no, I don't think so. And um, I said, well, you know, in that case, all you need to do is look around the world and see the number of countries that do not have democracy, where women are treated like absolute shit. And, um, you, you, you know, think about that seriously. And she went... Uh, where are you going on your holidays? Um, <laughs> so I don't know Yemen. if I got my point across. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Eritrea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, of course, if you're, if you're preaching the gospel as well, you, uh, you, you had the Grand National last week, so you did miss an opportunity. But um, right, What, to jump in front of the King's say, horse? Yeah, oh, that was what bollocks. I was going with, but that suffragette joke got so little from the audience. That, it, was, uh, it wasn't the Grand National. That it oh, wasn't it? No, it was the Derby. Derby oh, so there's yeah. still time. Excellent. Right. Well, <laughs> well, so if you're going to rugby tackle a horse, yeah, you've got to go low, haven't you? I mean, she was trying to crash. You, she's not Samoan. You've got to go low around the ankles. I think she's just trying to cross to get to the chips at the other side. Um, uh, you know, there was a calf. Yeah, but, uh, it's possible. Anyway. The footage is very... Andy handy tip for suffragettes, nothing to do with really universal suffrage, yeah. more about how to tackle a horse properly. <laughs> oh, that, but did you see... Uh, what about the leadership debates so far? I mean, did, did you watch those, Joe? I watched, I watched the first one, and the first question was from a boy called Johnny Tudor, and I laughed at his name, and I <laughs> laughed at his face. And I laughed and laughed and laughed, and then I forgot what I was laughing about. And then I remembered that it was Johnny Tudor. That was what I was laughing at. Mm-hmm. And I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed some more. And then it was almost over. <laughs> and then I, I just caught uh, Farage saying he wants an Australian-style immigration system. And what I understand that to be is an immigration system where thousands of criminals come from across the globe and just, <laughs> like, kill... <laughs> and they kill the whole indigenous population... And I'm not being racist, but I think that's a terrible immigration system. I don't want that in place. So, and, uh, to be fair, they didn't really come from all across the globe. They came from England, didn't they? That is the other side of the globe to Australia. Oh, well, so, oh fair enough, fair enough. I'll get my geography pointed out. I love, I love hosting the show. I just get picked up on everything I get wrong. <laughs> uh, well, no, because I mean, you, know, you do look at... You know, the Australian um, view of immigration is an interesting one. I always think that... Because the rest of the world spent the last century looking at South Africa, kind of going, guys, I mean, apartheid's terrible. Apart from Australia, which obviously went, we had the same thing. We just weren't stupid enough to give it a name, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, because UKIP say that, uh, that this British immigration policy has caused racism, and they want an Australian immigration policy. Whatever their immigration policy is, if it's linked to racism, that is the wrong one in Australia. Yeah, that would seem to be. Did you think um, Farage, Angela, did you, did you see Farage uh, in the debate with the leaderless debate? I actually, debate I didn't watch that debate. Uh, so, yeah, brilliant. Any, I, I, <laughs> anyone else on the panel watch it? I was, I was on holiday. It was... Uh, yeah, awesome thing to miss. It was. Um, <laughs> I, ju- yeah, I just pretty. particularly like Farage because it was the way he completely misjudged an audience. And, you know, we're all stand-ups on this panel. And wh- one thing you generally don't do is walk on stage and just go, well, you can all fuck off. Which yeah. <laughs> and, but Miller usually takes a minute before you have to say that. I saw a clip of that, and he's just... You just don't did, blame the audience. You didn't you? see it, but you managed to find a clip of Miller being a hero. Like, uh, yeah, I saw that bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it with my housemate, and at the end, when Leanne Wood uh, said... Vote for her and she said a thing in Welsh. He genuinely thought that she'd done a spell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we've got the election coming up. I mean, is there an excitement building, or is there actually? Uh, I'm finding the arguments. It, it, it's, it's got a bit tedious. Like one lot say one thing. It's exactly the same over and over again of, of a politics of kind of going, yes, it is. No, it isn't. And then we start, and they go, right, bring in Boris. Is Boris going to swing it for the Conservatives? Oh, that did you see him on Andrew Marr? With, I mean, he was. Grabbing at straws there. That you're, you're, what is it? He said something. Um, you're going to ruin the country more than you ruined your brother. Miliband. It's just wow. You've got proper playground there. <laughs> when I was in the hairdressers the other day, Boris was next to me actually, and um, he asked for an eaten mess. Sorry. That's the only crowbar I'm doing tonight. No, that's, that's she lied. Right. Well, no, because Boris was when, when you when you started the the debate thing, which I still have a problem with. I don't know that they're an American kind of import. But the last when I came back for the last mayor elections, when it was still Ken Livingston versus Boris, and you, I came back from travelling and turned on the telly, and they were there, and Boris was just like wah 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 wah, and then Ken was like me 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 me, and it was like listening to Pingu's parents having an argument. <laughs> 
So I don't know. I mean, I, I think we all get a little bit... You get tired of the election coverage because... And I don't know, the choice is... is in the end, I mean, are we going to be looking forward to a coalition government or can we see a clear winner? There's not going to be a clear winner. Apart from Ed, for you. Apart from democracy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> democracy where no one can decide quite, quite where to move forward to. What about, so we've got our election here, but in the States, of course, uh, and I wanted to bring it around to this, we've now got uh, the, the, the presidential elections over there, and we've opened them up. Hillary Clinton has uh, said she's going to take part. Are you, are you looking forward to seeing her? I, I'm looking forward to seeing Bill Clinton supporting her and going, I did have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> <laughs> For a change. That'd be nice, won't it? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I th- I'm looking forward to, to theirs. And, I, and I, I, t- I think Hillary deserves a bit of a chance, quite honestly. Would you, th- are, you, are you a fan? Well, c- considering what the opposition is, I am, yes. Yeah. But I, you know, I would, I would be a fan of hers pretty much out of everyone in America except her and Oprah, <laughs> really. 500 million people, her yeah. and Oprah. Well, no, fair enough, but it's... it's uh, you've got because the entire opposition, the Republican opposition, are now completely defined by hating Hillary already. So she's kind of got that that sewn up. Uh, do you think uh, Barack Obama's had a, a lame duck presidency in the second half, Joe Wells? Um, you're going to have to explain what the term lame duck means to me. It's like a, a, a waterborne bird which has hurt its foot. <laughs> And basically means that his ability to put anything through uh, governmentally, legislatively, yeah, is, is like, hampered. I think it's just shown us what um, uh, what constitutes kind of left wing extremism in America, and it's just basically not being a complete asshole yeah. <laughs> and makes you a, a communist. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like I like Hillary too, I, but in the same way that like a teaspoon is my favourite piece of cutlery to be poked in the eye with. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, she's the best of, of what there is. No, fair enough. And um, do we know any of the Republican? Do we know any of the Republican nominees yet? Well, there's bu- um, well, Je- Jeb Bush is the bookies' favourite to be the um, Republican oh, yes, nominee. Oh I mean, that's just f- what the world fucking needs at the moment, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Is another, another third Bush one from in the, the same White family? Yeah, yeah. What could possibly go wrong with that? They get three. I think they get to keep it. It's like the <laughs> World Cup, isn't it? Over here, one thing that struck me was. We've got the, the hundred business people who signed the letter in favour of the Tories. Were you surprised to find them oh, signing? Huge <laughs> Hundred of the richest people in the country signed a letter supporting the Tories. Oh. I know. What I was surprised about, they couldn't find a hundred other people. If you've got a hundred people saying that vote for the Tories, fine. They've got to vote each. Maybe if you could find the other 52 million who haven't got that kind of wealth. Because this, uh, the Sunday Times Rich List came out today, and the, the richest a thousand in this country uh, have doubled their wealth in ten years. Is that chance, or is that the Conservative government? Oh, it's all going to trickle down and uh, absolutely <laughs> deluge the poor of Britain on the head in, a, in an absolute stream of liquid gold. That. So it's fine. So uh, it's uh, you know we're we're all in it together, and um, <laughs> and you know they're in it in it more than us clearly. So fair play to them, you know. Well, having having had uh, economic theory explained so uh, minutely by Andy, I think it's now <laughs> it's now time to crack on with another section of the show. We'll have a little change of a pace at this point. Uh, Nick uh, Nick Revel will be joining us, uh, and uh, he's got a monologue, uh, and that's all I've got on my script, so uh, I'm trying to think of a really banging intro for it, apart from Nick Monologue. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hand together for Nick Monologue. Thank you. Should be my middle name, really. Um, So, uh, there's no payday loan jokes in this monologue, but uh, I did notice the Wonga losses announced this week, 37.3 million. Tesco's losses, 6.4 billion. Meanwhile, Islamic State is turning a profit of hundreds of millions of dollars per year, which means that the most brutal terror organisation since Genghis Khan and the Golden Horde, the people who make Al-Qaeda sound like Mr Kipling, these pitiless sociopaths, the Katie Hopkins of fundamentalism, are not only a threat to modern capitalism, but also far better at it than many of its most notorious exponents. In fact... Oh, thank you. <laughs> In fact, it's rumoured that this week the financial director of ISIS was headhunted by Wonga, but he turned them down. <laughs> Work for Wonga? Do you, what do you take me for? I have moral standards. 
I mean, their profits are really staggering, especially when you factor in how much uh, its leader, Abu Baghdadi, reputedly spends on his fabled collection of mint-conditioned My Little Pony figures and accessories. Uh, and it's, it's when you see limited edition versions of Princess Celestia and Lemony Gems swamping eBay, that's when you'll know that ISIS is in financial trouble. ISIS makes its money basically from kidnapping, extortion, taxation, looting archaeological finds, and it gets at least $2 million a week at the moment from selling oil to President Assad of Syria, their bitterest enemy. Now, some people see that as really cynical and depressing, but I say it's uplifting. Yes, it's a brutal conflict, but when the going gets tough, Sworn enemies can find the common humanity to reach out to each other and lend a helping hand to keep the killing going. You've got to look on the bright side. That conflict may be merciless and genocidal, but deep down, there's a Corinthian sporting spirit governing that war. Taking part is far more important than winning. And that's the British sporting ethos. And yet the critics will still try and tell you that the UK's influence in the region over the last 200 years has been entirely negative. What do they know? Like Miliband last week attacking the West for a collective failure over Libya, completely overlooking the huge business opportunities being created in the people smuggling industry. But surely it can't be long before Ryanair start flying out of Sicily South. Transit from Benghazi to Catania via Lilo. The big question for me, though, seriously, is how come a brutal death cult is attractive not only to desperate people who have been bent out of shape by decades of violence and civil war, but also to significant numbers of comparatively comfortable and apparently integrated Western Muslims? And and it's the, ISIS, it's the ISIS videos that is doing all this. This is what's doing the trick. Cutting firefights and beheadings and the destruction of ancient cities like a Hollywood action movie. So I'm thinking, did Bush and Halliburton go the wrong way by trying to hide the violence and the brutality and the torture? It seems the way forward to be popular is to celebrate that stuff openly. Maybe Obama should stop playing down drone attacks and, and broadcast live footage of it to a Guns N' Roses soundtrack. Because the fact is, ISIS know how to project an image. And dressing homophobic, xenophobic killers in black hoods uh, apparently gives them that all-important, charming Spider-Man kind of appeal to Western teenagers. Which is kind of ironic that they're working on images of human beings, given that they believe the making of images of any living thing is forbidden. And, and given that you had imams uh, in Saudi Arabia a couple of months ago banning people from making snowmen, I doubt there's an exemption clause in the Quran for digital video. Maybe, maybe at some point they'll realize that they're being blasphemous by their own standards and declare jihad on themselves. But, uh, but at root, the fact is, they're not very religious at all. There was a big article in, in Der Spiegel last week, the German magazine, uh, uh, about how ISIS got established. And apparently the actual main man is not Baghdadi. It's a, a man called uh, Haji Baka, who was an ex-member of Saddam's secret police force. And the whole of the organization and the whole way they got established is established on the same principles as Saddam's police state. I could go into details, but it was a German article. It would take very, very long time. Um, so the jihadis might think they're fighting for Allah, but the people at the top are strictly secular. Because when Bakr was killed uh, recently, they didn't even find a Quran in his house. They did find files detailing some of the things that some of the top foreign mujahideen demanded in return for coming to fight in Syria, though, which included apartments, uh, women, furniture, and for one guy, a fully automatic washing machine. I will fight and be the sword of Allah, but only in return for the new Zanussi ZWC-1301 front-loading, freestanding, three-kilogram load economy cycle. <laughs> and I tell you, I bet you there are senior advertising people in London and in Madison Avenue looking at those ISIS videos and thinking, these people are good at their job. They are selling death torture and the worst cultural vandalism since Kerry Packer and they are nailing it. They can sell that, they can sell anything. We need to get them 
We got them. We could sell Ted Cruz to be president. Get on the phone, talk to them. They must have a price. Offer them double what they're earning now and throw in the most expensive washing machine you can find. <laughs> Happy days. Nick Revel, ladies and gentlemen. When, uh, when Nick mentioned the brutal death cult, so I've been, uh, been reading the Sunday Times today. I thought he was going to talk about the Scottish National Party. But, um. <laughs> What a, and this is the other big story that I wanted to, to get into. Nick was obviously talking about uh, militant uh, Islam and people. Anyone been tempted to move to Syria recently? It just doesn't seem long-term in terms of like, investment in property. It doesn't... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you could pick up some bargains. Well, yeah, I mean, Streatham's not great, but I think Syria's probably worse. Um, <laughs> well, Joe, Joe Brand's the don't expert. Don't ask me about that. Um, <laughs> No, what I, I, what I find enormously uh, depressing... Well, I find all of it depressing, but for me, as a woman, I find young women of age 15 and 16 actually thinking that there is something resembling a life for them mm. out there. And presumably, the reason they're going is because they've seen um, the videos that, that we've all seen, and that is somehow... what I don't know, why is that attractive for them, is something so bad about yeah. their schools that they think that getting married to some personality-disordered psycho, um, uh, you know, out in uh, Syria is, is preferable. And I think, um, it, this, you know, this show's called You Don't Have To Be Funny. I'm sorry, I can't really think of anything funny to say about young women because I can't imagine how appalling since they arrived there, their, yeah. their lives are, really. Um, well, there was an idea that of uh, the kind of the pin-up of... Uh, and you say the videos we've all seen. I'm kind of interested in this idea of the videos, which is a, a hideous thing that is... Um, have we all seen the videos? Well, actually, I say that. I think... Uh, uh, no, I haven't. But I think a lot of people have because they're so available, aren't they? Yeah. I don't know. I was just. I've. I've almost. I don't think I've made a choice particularly. Just the idea of anything with. It. And you know, you get the, the the press. The way. I mean, the fact there's someone called Jihadi John, and you just think you're trying to make this cuddly. I mean, who's going to play him in the movie? Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the pro the problem is actually people have always done that, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, at the expense, I have to say, most of the time of women. Mm. Uh, if you look at serial killers, have all had nicknames. I mean, not particularly cuddly ones, but they've still sort of. Um, to me, uh, diminished what is actually going on by by bothering to come up with like the Yorkshire Ripper or the Panther or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hammond had a nickname as well. Who did? Richard Hammond. Was hamster. that the hamster? Yeah, the hamster. Is Richard Hammond a serial killer? Well, nothing's come out yet. But uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I really hesitate to bring this up, but I have to because it's a story. But I think giving her the oxygen of publicity is, is a mistake, but I'm going to make a mistake. Katie Hopkins. Um, got a crush on her, Angela? Oh, yeah, no. I, as Linda, the great Linda Smith said, giving her the oxygen of oxygen is too much, I think. Um, That's a lovely line. Yeah, uh, it's just a despicable... They, they, I mean, the, the language that she used has been compared, I think it was in The Independent... You know, she referred to the migrants. And again, this is such a hard topic to try and be funny about because it's just so disgusting. But that she referred to, to migrants as, as cockroaches. And you know, these are people who are paying their entire life savings to get on a boat that isn't seaworthy, to do a crossing that they probably won't make. To, you, know, you don't do that unless your life is completely unbearable. Right. And, and to call those people cockroaches because they'll survive anything, it's, it's, it's a reminiscent, I think, the independent said, of, of, of language used in um, Nazi propaganda films yeah. and in Rwandan propaganda to, to justify genocide. And it's, it's not often that I'll stick up for Hitler. but um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this should be good. <laughs> not stick up. But I just think, at least in the language of the na Nazi propaganda, like, th there was a reason they did that. I'm not saying it was a good reason. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but let me. There, there, no, Katie we, Hopkins. We can edit out that footnote. No, on the podcast. don't That's do that. <laughs> what I'm saying is, what is this woman? How can she say those things as an individual? Do you think she? What says is them? her ulterior? Do you think she says what, them? Well, yeah, fate. Well, infamy, or yeah. I, I does she say them? Or do, I mean, I'm just waiting for the comedian who plays Katie Hopkins to reveal themselves and tell us all. It's been a wonderful joke, but it's. It, she obviously allows her name, to, even if she didn't write that copy, she allowed her name to be put to it. That's just as bad. Well, I, th I think there are two combinations going on with her. One is that she's an incredibly um, disturbed person. I would say 
Um, having been a psychiatric nurse, she's got a histrionic personality disorder. But that is also coupled with her um, being incredibly cynical or being allowed to be incredibly cynical and f filling a, a gap in, in what appears to be a market, you know. And I think, um, given the way that um, the internet is these days... Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing, but virtually anyone can get their voice heard. Mm. And I think that we have to bear in mind that a lot of the views that she is expressing are held by a substantial number of people yeah. who don't express those views in public for fear of, of, of the, um, you know, uh, of the rea reaction that they're going to get. I mean, UKIP... Um, let's see what happens in the election. But actually, their their views are supported by hundreds of thousands of people, if not more. Um, yes. And so um, I, I think the other thing about Katie Hopkins, Hopkins is that people think it's worse because she's a woman, because women are meant to be mm. nicer and more caring. So the fact that she's saying these sorts of things is in some way worse than Richard Littlejohn saying them or, um, mm. you know, uh, Jeremy Kyle treating um, someone on his show like a piece of shit, you know. I, I just feel that it's a, it's a combination of kind of a, quite a disturbed woman, but a, a lot of cynics are surrounding her and sort of egging her on, if you like. And you then called for her, to, you know, to be looked at in, in context of inciting racial hatred? Or really? Yeah. They've so called for Katie Hopkins to be looked at. That's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> not officially, I don't think. It was a spokesperson for the UN because of the language that she used and the... And it's where, where is that line, I suppose? Well, yeah, no, I mean, the, it's, it's the fact that she keeps... I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm going to draw a line under it now because the fact that we discussed her in the first place, I think, as you say, I mean, I'd much rather give her carbon monoxide than oxygen. Uh, so, so we will move on. But the internet was, uh, was, was mentioned. Um, and we've got uh, the spread, you know, media that leads everywhere. There's, uh, there's a new uh, selection of uh, reality shows coming out. Now, I, I mentioned some, I think, on last month's podcast that uh, the, the girls from Bethnal Green are appearing in the only way as ISIS and Star in their ISIS, but there uh, also there are some genuine ones that we've got uh, the Great British Pottery Throw. I don't know where they're getting these ideas from, but I just wondered uh, if there were any new reality shows coming. There's, there's a hairdressing one, I believe, I coming just, out. It's, you know, you've got the Bake Off, we've got the, uh, the Great British Sewing Bee, the Great British Pottery Throw. It's all these very middle class sort of people who knit their own yogurt, kind of. I want to see something that reflects the British population, how they actually spend their time. You know, I want to see the Great British binge drink off or the, you know, something more... That'd be the Great British queue. Yeah, exactly. That'd be fascinating television, <laughs> wouldn't it? Just, just filming a group of people in a post office and working out which... Totting. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Surely the Great British binge drink off, they could just use CCTV footage from any <laughs> town centre. I feel the opposite of Andrew. I want more middle-class television. I want a version of the Jeremy Kyle show but like with only middle-class people on it. I think that would be much James better. James O'Brien's trying to make one. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so he'd be like, look, if you didn't want to pay the school fees, you should have kept it in your pants, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> that trust fund will mature. Yeah. Uh, Joe Brand, any, anyone? I, I like to see the great British menopause. Uh, well, no, because I think menopause of women just get completely ignored. And we well then one the only good thing about that is shoplifting's made easier. But um, <laughs> other than that, women do become invisible, and that's why they all get taken off the telly. So if there was just a bit more menopause going on, it's so very exciting because actually menopausal women are fucking bad tempered like me. <laughs> and they behave quite badly, and they're really entertaining. I think. So would you would it would it just be general members of the public or would it be a kind of celebrity big brother Great British menopause? Then you could have all the people who've been like the newsreaders who've been turfed off. So they've not only are they in the menopause, but they're in a foul mood because they've lost their job for no good reason. I think celebrity menopause would be good. Yes. <laughs> so you'd sign up for celebrity menopause? Absolutely, I would. And can I just say while I'm here, because um, like GPs always ask you when was your last period about 57 years after you had it, <laughs> and the only way I can remember my my last period finished on the day of Morris's 50th birthday. <laughs> How about that? That's wonderful. I'm so pleased with that date. <laughs> anyway, well, I think, on. I think on that note, it's probably time to, uh, to go into the interval. Now we've got uh, Joe's last period firmly lodged in our brain. <laughs> Please just join me in putting your hands together and thanking the panel, and we'll see you in the second half. 
Excellent. Welcome back. Uh, I trust you had a good interval. Uh, we've got. Thank you very much for your audience suggestions. You've been. Um, You've been very, very uh, busy, uh, particularly like this one. Joe Brand, as an angry menopausal woman, would you seem the right fit to anchor Top Gear? <laughs> I reckon I would. Um, I'll tell you why as well. I have actually got my international rally driving licence, so yes, indeedy. Are you in the uh, running? Uh, Are you in the running no. for it? Got too fat to well, get can in the you car see how now. angry um, how angry Twitter would get with Joe being put forward? Oh, for I'd love to do see you see what that. they did to Sue Perkins? Oh, I did, and I think actually I would actually get burnt. I don't think they're going to burn Sue. They've threatened to, but I think they would come to South East London, tie me to a stake. Yeah, I'd eat that. Woohoo! <laughs> and, um, and then I'd probably die. Speaking of someone who's not famous, I mean. Joe Brown, you must get a fair amount of abuse on Twitter and social media, stuff like that. Uh, well, I've actually only just gone on Twitter about three weeks ago, and all I've said on it so far is I had a nice cup of tea, and I'm not going to say anything else, but I just wanted to get a blue tick, because I was fed up with people pretending to be me <laughs> and, and having a somehow more interesting life than mine. <laughs> You know, there was what, there's this one, well, I think they've gone now, but he was saying, oh, I think it was a bloke, actually, and, and they were saying, oh, I'm flying up to Glasgow tonight, taking the family, and there's me, I'm at home, you know, <laughs> doing watching the pointless run. celebrities <laughs> going, oh, I wish I could get on that, yeah, doing the school <laughs> run, washing my pants, wishing I was going to Glasgow, but my life's very boring, and there's no point me tweeting about Speaking it. Speaking of someone who's, who's not... Famous when I, I when I get called a dick on Twitter, I'm a bit shocked and a bit like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, I didn't, don't, don't believe we've met. Um, <laughs> and someone the other day called me a dick, and I was like, oh, it's a bit rude. And then I found he was called Guru, <laughs> and he had two followers. <laughs> what a shit Guru! Um, <laughs> Andy, do you get do you get abused on Twitter? Uh, occasionally, yeah. I, I, there was um. Uh, an article about me in the Daily Mail last uh, last September after I'd made a joke on the radio that I thought was pro-monarchy and pro-democracy, but the Daily Mail thought was me advocating the um, execution of the Queen. Oh, is this burning um, her or something? No, no, I suggested a referendum on whether or not the Queen should be um, uh, should be beheaded. And, and the Daily Mail twisted that. They twisted they? that, <laughs> suggesting that, yeah. Anyway, but, but anyway, I had some... I had what I would call this. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not a sort of, I think if Russell Brand had said it, he'd had proper death threats. I think I had l- kind of mid-level Some invitations to become dead, rather than, <laughs> <laughs> rather than an actual. Someone suggested death they might give you a Chinese burn or something. Yeah, well, yeah. It was kind of someone, w- you know, kind of wishing I was ever not really being asked enough to actually do it themselves. So, um, so you don't get death threats. You get a suicide suggestions. Yeah, basically. Oh, yeah, right, so, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, uh, Joe Wells, have you had Twitter abuse? Uh, some of them come to the fake Joe Brand accounts that I run. <laughs> uh, is it clever to demonise the Scottish nation as is becoming commonplace in the media? Yes. Um, well, I need to be demonised. They're threatening to uh, not just break apart the United Kingdom, but probably bring the uh, end to humanity and the planet as we know it with our apocalyptic vision of uh, increased public spending um, <laughs> and allowing women to have a go at frontline politics. I mean, it's truly terrifying when you look at it in those terms. So well, they need to be... They, I don't think any Scottish vote should count in this election. Um, uh, because, you know, they clearly can't be trusted with it. You know, we had a referendum uh, just uh, you know, three or four years ago on first-past-the-post or alternative vote. We voted for first-past-the-post... And now the Scots have shown that they can't be trusted with it because they're going to vote for who they want to vote for. And that is not how that system is supposed to work. (laughs) We're supposed to work... It's supposed to vote kind of tactically against the result that you least want to happen. And it's people voting for what they actually believe in that is undermining the very foundations of our democracy. It has to be stopped. No, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, wh- who knew that all the fuss over the Scottish referendum and we thought, oh, the Scots, they don't really want to be independent. Actually, it turned out they were playing the long game uh, and avoiding independence so that they could take over the entire United Kingdom. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually half Scottish and I'd be very keen on a, on a Scottish ruled... Uh, I thought it'd be quite good, you know. We'd be plenty of iron brew, everyone wearing tartan and uh, only one team in the Premiership would be allowed to play decent football. I think that's... <laughs> That could work quite well. And, of course, we get a decent national anthem, which actually had some pride in it, as opposed to some sort of hymn of servitude to someone who's in a position of power due to an accident of birth. But obviously, <laughs> I'm... Some... Yeah, and it's... What, I, I just... 
I think it's. I think it's not. Sorry, only... that's the most polite Republican <laughs> round of applause. In France, they managed to take their royal family out and guillotine them in public. In Britain, half of a basement gives a polite clap, and the other one goes, "I wouldn't like to commit." <laughs> that's how it started in France, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, no, you're absolutely right on the national anthem. It is a, a song basically about uh, a woman who already has the highest possible level of medical. Uh, medical care and personal bodyguards, and so she's not. She's very unlikely to be in a situation where she actually needs divine saving, and we're yet singing to a being that <laughs> most people in this country no longer believe in to save a woman who, frankly, is r- really not in need of any assistance. It's it it's, is the, it's and it's true and tune. the tune shit as well. Oh, yeah. That is, yeah. that is, it's yeah. It's like listening to a kind of a liquefied turnip just blasted into your ear. <laughs> but more so. Do you have a suggestion for an alternative national anthem then, Andy? Um, anything by Banana Rama for me would, uh, <laughs> would fly. I'm with Billy Connolly. I think the Archers theme is the... <laughs> yeah. I once saved a life because of that theme too. Do you know that? You once saved a life because I did, of the Archers? the Archers theme too. Because uh, when I was a student nurse, we were taught to do CPR and we were taught to do it to the Archers theme tune because it gives you the right rhythm for dun, the compression. Dun, 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 dun. And I was walking along the street in Islington and I saw a car accident. I was a student nurse at the time. And I'm like, oh, the Archers shit. was playing on the radio. <laughs> Luckily, no. <laughs> that is enough to make people want to crash their car, frankly, isn't it? Just to make it And it, it was terrifying as a student nurse to have to do CPR for real on someone. Yeah. And I did it. And, uh, and the police took my details and stuff afterwards and they phoned me a couple of days later to say the guy had pulled through and was okay. And he said, uh, you're, you're quite the uh, subject of uh, hysteria down at the... Ambulance station. I said, what is it? Apparently, when they turned up, you were doing it out loud. That's great. That's the Ambridge Ambulance. I think that's great. Here's one that uh, is... uh, Well, I don't... The timing of the royal baby at the same time as the election. Cynical. Moi. (laughs) Do we think that this is cynical or... Yeah, it's going to lead to a massive increase in votes for the Queen, I think. Uh, I didn't realise she was on the ballot paper, or are you referring to Nicola Sturgeon again? <laughs> the de facto Queen. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's quite an imposition. I know Cameron has links in the high places. He's basically a member of the royal family, isn't he? Yeah, he's, Going back a, he's a few generations. Dead. So maybe he just called in, started, you know... And paying for them to go out for romantic dinners. No, I, I, I have ago, to say, who whoever wrote this, I think we, we would have to say you're fairly cynical. Unless Cameron sat down with Kate and Will and went, would you mind having a go tonight? Because obviously we've got a set term now, so we know when it is. <laughs> so I think we will say that was a fairly cynical one. Um, this is actually quite a, an in-depth one that I think we might be... Uh, read the 100th anniversary of Gallipoli landings. Yes, Jesus let's lighten Christ. the mood, ladies and gentlemen. Given that more French people were killed at Gallipoli than Anzac troops took part, should there have been a French representative at the Cenotaph yesterday? Joe Wells, what do you think? Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I really threw you a bit of a hospital pass there, didn't I? Last time I did this with James O'Brien, he fucked me over like this. I have no, he taught um, me everything I know. <laughs> I'll, uh, I have no strong opinion about this. Um, yeah. That's, um, well, you know, like this is the thing that um, James told me that that you should uh, always admit when you don't know the answer, but I disagree with him. I think it's better to kind of wing it and to see how far you can go. You will uh, go far, my son. <laughs> you will go far. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> do we have, just sorry, do have a question from the audience. Do we have, do we have any, any Antipodeans in the audience this evening? No, well, then they should stop going on about Gallipoli. Really, that's... Uh, <laughs> Frankly, there were a few of them there, and Churchill fucked it up, so let's crack on. Um, well, speaking of Antipodeans, oh, well, it's another Gallipoli one. Let's fuck it. Seeing as we're rolling with it so well, and it's set the... Uh, the I'm going to wing it with, uh, with... Watching the ITV documentary about Rupert Murdoch's father at Gallipoli, am I wrong to think that if the Turks had been better shots, we would have been a lot better off? <laughs> do, you think, cause, do you think we're, gonna, we're heading towards a coalition government again? I, I think I don't think that. I know that to be the case. 
But isn't that more more the way the model upon which the rest of Europe operates? That we generally it's usually coalition government. We're just used to having Tories or Labour for so many years. Do you think what what would they, I think there's a question here somewhere? What would be the most interesting coalition you could see coming from this election? I'm very excited. I think that a Labour SNP coalition would be fucking brilliant, and I would really like to see the Labour Party making concessions to the left instead of making concessions to the right. So I think that's what we've been doing for years and years and years. They've been going. I almost got a round of applause. There. I love one woman. Crap. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was two people high-fiving jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we've seen the Labour Party make a session of the right for years and years, and it's fucking depressing, because I do gigs for Labour Party in the grassroots, and the grassroots Labour members are left-wing, yeah. and yeah. Uh, they're being sold out by the people on top, I think. I'd like to see a Labour-Tory coalition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would it be, be fundamentally be very powerful. Massively it? entertaining <laughs> for the neutral. Um, and, um, I think on the same basis, I'd be quite keen on a green UKIP coalition. <laughs> <laughs> that is a I think that would be marvellous. Just huge arguments between four people and that was the government. But it uh, does show at extraordinary, uh, extraordinary levels of unpopularity the main parties have achieved. That in a system that is basically explicitly set up to guarantee <laughs> one of them a majority with not that many votes. They're heading for a second hung parliament in a row. It's um, a quite ex- extraordinary, extraordinary performance when you think about it. And yeah, so as I said earlier on, UKIP could get. I mean, even if they're declining in the polls, even if they get ten percent of the vote, that's still five times what they got last time. Yeah. And they're going to have no seats, almost no seats to show for it. And there's going to be some stroppy UKIPers, I think. Well, it's one one suggestion we did have. How how did the panel celebrate St George's Day? Did anyone celebrate St George's Day, or are we going to have the same? Um, yeah. Oh, you did? Well, no. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a fascinating day because there's a, there's clearly quite a lot of awkwardness about it, um, and possibly because of the fact that St George is not not English. Uh, he, he was, was Palestinian, wasn't he? Well, he's was tur- kind of Turkish, I think. He was from Cappadocia. Um, oh, I've been there. It's delightful. <laughs> and uh, well, I just think it's a shame, you know, as a proud Englishman, that so many of our top patron saint positions are taken by overseas saints, and it's just not really encouraging our youngsters to behave in a particularly saintly manner. And they, you know, they see all the opportunities just. Blocked off by high-paid saints from overseas. These foreigners in, coming in Spain, over here, nicking our well, sainthoods. Yeah, you know, in Spain they've got a much better system, an academy system there, and uh, and uh, they keep churning <laughs> out of patron saints. So, um, Andrew, do you have an idea of who we should have as a patron saint as a replacement for St George? Oh, who would I, Stephen Fry? Stephen Fry. <laughs> when, when he's dead, clearly. I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that's that's kind of that was all good for him for a moment, and then something <laughs> went horribly wrong. Maybe I, I, David Attenborough would be. That's the, he's the popular choice. No, before, no, right? awful man. Made an entire career out of zebra snuff movies and insect porn. <laughs> Filth. <laughs> Filth. Filth. A, he is the wor- he is the worst man that's ever worked for the BBC for me. <laughs> this is our gentle and I think described by the Guardian charmingly scruffy satire show. We've just dissed the fuck out of Richard Attenborough. Oh, David Attenborough. Richard Attenborough couldn't act. Two of them terrible. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that that Rillington Place. That wasn't. That was a documentary. Anyway, um, okay. So uh, so we've discovered that David Attenborough is a dreadful shit with awesome a line man. in awesome. zebra snuff movies. That is, yeah. uh, that's a phrase I never thought I'd hear. Really? Well, I thought you were in a band called Zebra Snuff Movies as a teenager, weren't you? I, I had no idea. Actually, speaking of zebra uh, snuff movies, that Ricky Gervais has been very active on Twitter this week, hasn't he? Having a pop at this woman who's who's done the big five game hunting oh, thing. Oh, yeah, and, uh, pictures of her with dead... Dead giraffes. Wonderful beasts, yes. well, I, I'm a fucking unbelievable. Like, a giraffe's really hard, you yeah. know, to, sh- to kill, isn't it? Well, if it's with armed, it can be A high-velocity rifle and a 20-foot animal, that's, yeah. It's well, I, do, I remember I, was, I went to high school in the States for a little while, and I, did, I went to... All right, pop. Columbus, don't flash it about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Columbus, don't flash it about. That's my favourite heckle I've ever had. I think, I, I think that might be time to wrap up this week's show. Uh, I'd like to thank you, the audience, very much indeed for coming. I would like to thank... Uh, I'd like to, to also uh, point you in the direction of our next show. We will be down here on uh, Sunday, May the 31st. I think James O'Brien is back, but I'm not sure. It depends. I th- oh, it's after the election, so he may be back. Depends on the ITV commissioning budget, I guess. So we'll <laughs> watch that with interest and perhaps a little jealousy. Um, and uh, finally, ladies and gentlemen, I would like you to uh, put your hands together and thank our guest this evening on music. We had Mr. Christian Riley. Uh, monologue from my co-creator of No Pressure to Be Funny, Mr. Nick Revel. And finally, huge thanks to our panel, Andy Zaltzman, Angela Barnes, Joe Wells and Joe Brand. 
Thank you very much for coming. This has been No Pressure to Be Funny, and good night.